I must keep you in Canada where you'll be safe and assigned your own hockey team. Please not Ottawa. Please not Ottawa. Yeah, I'm I'm so sorry. The Simpsons just threw shade at the Ottawa Senators. This is what we've become now, people. We have officially become a meme. Alright, good to go. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been gorgeous in Calgary, so I can't complain. Yeah, not been snowing, been, weather's been good for you? Clear blue skies in 22. Yeah, it's about that here today, man. It's been really nice, and it's, it's really nice over the last week, given that it's not been cold it's not been cloudy the weather's been really good yeah and we've been able to be outside for most of it i know we're getting a bit rain next week looks like it's gonna be mostly rain but that's not a bad thing either that's not too bad well i mean you guys want the rain the most because uh the more it rains now the less it's gonna burn that is true apparently we had a small forest fire here on the island there last week oh wow yeah so, Tim, there's a reason why that you and I are here today. And it's a fun one. It is a fun one. So today, Tim and I are going to be introducing a brand new segment called Redraft. This is where he and I will look at an older NHL draft class pre-draft lottery. Now, this is the great thing about this because... And it's actually very fitting that we're talking about this particular draft because this is the draft that not only introduced a draft lottery... But the first overall selection is the reason why an entry-level contract is standard today. Yeah, 1993 changed a lot of things. And funnily enough, it's all because of the Ottawa Senators. It is. Now, the reason why that the 93 draft is fitting is because, like you're saying, the Ottawa Senators are the main reason why. And the Senators were accused of intentionally tanking in 1993 and by 1995 the NHL introduced a draft lottery, and because of Alexander Degg's big contract, the entry-level contract became standard. Yeah, and honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about draft lotteries. I think I've been very clear on the show that I think that tanking should be a viable strategy. But uh, I think the ELC is a good thing. It is. I mean, I've got my feelings regarding the lottery. I think it is good... Just so teams aren't intentionally tanking. I I do understand that, you know, that the team that finishes with the worst record feels like they should get the first pick. I understand that, but you've got teams like, say, the 84 Penguins, or you can even argue the 93 Senators, where they intentionally tanked to get the first pick. Well, I mean, I think that that should be a viable strategy because there's two ways that you can sell a sport. You can... You can sell a good product or you can sell hope. And tanking to get that first overall pick is selling hope. Fair enough. Now, what we're going to be doing here for redraft is because we're going to be looking at drafts 
that didn't have a draft lottery. So we have decided that we're going to look at said draft class and we are going to apply a lottery to it. Now there is one little hitch in all of this. Tim and I are only going to be looking at the first 10 picks. And how I'm gonna, and how we're going to be doing the lottery is simple. We're going to do we're going to split it in half. Numbers 5 to 10. The numbers are randomized and whatever whatever the final number that came out of that was added to 1 to 4 and we yep. did it from there. We did 1 to 5. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. We just the standard, standard formula. Absolutely. Now, before we go into talking about the lottery and the draft, we got to look at the original draft order from 1993. The original order went, first pick went to Ottawa, second pick, Hartford Whalers, third pick, Tampa Bay Lightning, fourth pick, Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, Florida and San Jose got fifth and sixth, Edmonton landed seventh, the New York Rangers got 8th, and Dallas and Quebec got 9th and 10th, respectively. Now, before we go on to the actual lottery, we got to talk a little bit about said noted players taking in the first round past the 10th selection. At number 12, going to the Toronto Maple Leafs, Kenny Janssen. Now, Janssen only played two seasons for the Leafs before being traded to the Islanders in 1996 for Wendell Clark. Overall, a pretty solid defenseman who played a two-way game. And during his time with the Islanders, he was considered one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. But at the same time, if that was a trade for Wendell Clark, that's a hard trade. It is. Going but still, great career. Mm-hmm. Going 14 to the Quebec Nordiques is Adam Dedmarge. Stanley Cup champion in 1996 with Colorado. Put up solid numbers with the Avalanche before being traded to Los Angeles for Rob Blake in 2001. Would later retire in 2005 due to multiple concussions. That's sad. Yep. Going 17th overall to the Washington Capitals, Jason Allison. Played parts of four seasons with the Capitals before being traded to Boston in 1997 in a package that saw Jim Carrey and Anson Carter going to the Bruins for Adam Oates, where he would develop into a star centerman recording multiple 50-plus assist seasons for the Bruins. It's a shame he didn't get closer to a thousand a thousand games because Jason Allison was incredibly talented. He was. Going twenty first overall to the Montreal Canadiens, Saku Koivu. First European captain in Canadiens history and tied with Jean Belleville for longest serving captain with ten seasons. Put up solid numbers during his time with Montreal, finished his ten year eighth all time in assists as a Canadian. Will be best remembered for his comeback in two thousand two after being diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, and then even his final years in Anaheim were nothing to sniff at either. Nope, solid solid enough third, fourth pairing centerman. Not too bad. Mm-hmm. Going 23rd overall to the New York Islanders, Todd Bertuzzi played three seasons for the Islanders before being traded to Vancouver for Trevor Linden in 1998. Part of the West Coast Express line with Marcus Naslin and Brendan Morrison with the Canucks. However, he will be most remembered for the Steve Moore incident in March of 2004. Which is a game that I've said on the show. I was actually at. Yeah. It's a shame because, like, Todd Bertuzzi was a fantastic player. Although, I don't think I'll ever understand the Linden trade. No, the under- the thing is, is that the Linden trade happened because Mike Keenan didn't like him. But the package, the, the deal that they got back, the Canucks ended up getting Todd Bertuzzi, but they also got Brian McCabe. Mm-hmm. Who so it was a didn't really pan out in Vancouver until he went to Toronto, but 
you know, still. Solid package. Yep. And a nice timeshare in Muskoka. He does. Okay, now it's time to talk about the draft lottery. Now, once again, the original draft order went Ottawa, Hartford, Tampa Bay, Anaheim, Florida, San Jose, Edmonton, New York, Dallas, and Quebec. And, with that being said, it's time to talk about the lottery. With the 10th pick, dropping three selections is the Edmonton Oilers. Getting the ninth selection, dropping four spots is the Florida Panthers. With the 8th selection is the New York Rangers, who stayed. With the 7th pick, dropping one selection, the San Jose Sharks. At, with the 6th pick, moving up three slots, the Dallas Stars. At number 5, moving down two selections, the Tampa Bay Lightning. With the 4th pick, moving down two selections, is the Hartford Whalers. With the 3rd pick, moving down two selections, is the Ottawa Senators. And... With the first pick in the 1993 NHL redraft, moving up an astonishing nine picks, the Quebec Nordiques, which means the second pick, moving up two selections, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Yeah. So with that being said, Tim, with the first pick in the 1993 NHL redraft, the Quebec Nordiques select Alexander Degg. Now, look, I don't think you and I need to go into Alexander Degg. We've talked about him on the show. We've already talked about everything. Everybody knows about him. For those who may not know, he was the most highly touted prospects of all time, considered to be the next Mary Lemieux. He did play two seasons with a Victoriaville Tigre, recording 80 goals, 167 assists for 247 points in 119 games, before playing four and a half seasons with Ottawa before being traded to Philadelphia in 1998. Big thing here is just the Quebec Nordiques were looking for a lifeline, and one of the big thing the big thing they were looking for was a scorer and someone from Quebec to really light up the fan base. Absolutely, this and, and because you also got to realize, Tim, is that Quebec needed this, given the black eye that Eric Lindros left on Quebec when he was selected first in 1991. Yeah. I don't think this saves the franchise, given what hap- ends up happening to Dag, but this would have given them a, a bigger fighting chance. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that the Quebec Nordique fan base would have been just so overjoyed with this pick. But I feel that as time would go on, it the excitement would quickly turn to anger when he doesn't perform. And it's not just because of Dag, it's because Quebec is notably unforgiving on French-Canadian players, whether it be the Montreal Canadiens or even the Quebec Nordique. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just an expectation for them to be better. And I don't know why. That's true. Probably because T fans like of the Montreal Canadiens have, have evidence. Like they've seen Guy Lafleur. They've seen Jean Beliveau. They've seen the Rocket Richard. They've seen Patrick Wild. They've seen all these French-Canadian players who go to Montreal and they succeed. So that's mm-hmm. probably what sort of pedestal that Alexandre Degg is now put on in Quebec. Yeah, and I think it would be even harder for him to settle into that sort of situation than new team situation in Ottawa. True, but you also got to factor in the fact that Alexandre Degg is going to a much better team in Quebec than he did in Ottawa. Because he's going to Quebec 
Here's some of the players that played for the Nordiques when he when he gets there. Joe Sackick, Matt Sundin, Owen Nolan, and a few other players. Like, think about that. You have Sackick, you have Sundin, you have Owen Nolan, you have talent around him. So, really, it's up to him whether he's going to succeed or not. For sure. And, honestly, he might have a better go of it. He does, but it's up to him whether he wants to put the effort in or not. Mm. And maybe if he goes to Quebec, the entry-level contract never becomes a thing. Or it takes a while to materialize. For sure. With the second pick, the Anaheim Ducks select Chris Pronger. Now, it's funny that Chris Pronger went second because... No, 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 of course, in hindsight, you would say, oh, yeah, Chris Pronger, but I, I don't know. I mean, Chris Pronger was considered the consolation prize to Alexander Dagg after playing two seasons with the Peterborough Peets, recording 139 points in 124 games. He did go on to play two seasons in Hartford before being dealt to St. Louis with Brendan Shanahan, a highly highly decorated in the NHL, Norris and Hart Trophy winner in 2000, two Olympic gold medals, and a Stanley Cup, funny enough, with the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, in 2007. Now, this is, this is a no-brainer for Anaheim to take him, given he was the best defenseman in the draft. This also gives Anaheim a franchise-anchoring defenseman, but I feel that it actually steers the Ducks towards a highly skilled decor, especially the next year with the second pick when they took Olav Teradoski. But, however, this could be disastrous for the Ducks, given that the factor for Chris Pronger being traded was maturity in Hartford. Mm-hmm. And they also don't get the, the electrifying presence of Paul Correa. That's true. So, you know, the, the path of the Ducks could be steered in a much different direction with Chris Pronger going there. But you never know. This could be ended up being disastrous for the Ducks if he doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. I think for number three, for Ottawa, I think Ottawa deviates from history a bit. I don't think they take Chris Pratt. No, but the thing is, is that we're looking at the selections that were made in 1993. You know, I'm not sure you could actually really do that, though, right? No, especially with the power of hindsight. However... Even with force, like, even with the information at hand, I think Ottawa wanted someone to put asses in seats. And Paul Correa's point totals in junior... Screamed ass and seat. Okay, well, let's talk about that. With the third, with the third pick, the Ottawa Senators select Chris Gratton. Now, Chris Gratton did put up good numbers for the Kingston Frontenacs, recording 175 points in 120 games. He did have himself a solid career in the NHL, recording two 60-point seasons. Did finish his career as a journeyman, playing for seven teams, recording 568 points in 1,092 games. Now, I do understand that, as you're saying. The Ottawa Senators probably wouldn't have drafted Chris Scratton third overall. They would have taken Paul Correa. And I know that that would have been a much interesting thing to talk about, but we're only talking about players that were selected at said picks. And while the Senators were disappointed that they couldn't land Dag, early on they do get themselves a really solid second-line center. And I, the problem is that I can't see him being lost on the depth chart in later years with Ottawa drafting Radic Bonk 
Mike Fisher, Jason Spezza comes along. But the one thing that you can give Chris Gratton a lot of credit for is that he's more of a workhorse as opposed to the offensive threat like Alexei Yashin. So Yashin would be the vocal point on offense. Gratton would be more of the workhorse for the Senators. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, but I don't, yeah, I really can't see them take, like, I can't see a new team using their high level draft pick to take a steady, a steady two way second line center. I like, I really can't see them taking, doing that. That is true. But Especially like, when you have a guy scoring 100 goals in at the University of Maine in 40 games. Sorry, I mean 100 points in 30 in 40 games. That's just fucking bonkers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and like I said, we're only talking about said players that were taken at those selections, and that's why when we're putting this together, we're just saying, what if this player went to this team instead? Yeah. But given yeah, that we're talking about Paul Korea, Tim, with the fourth pick, the Hartford Whalers select Paul Korea. Now you're talking about he did score 100 points in 39 games for the University of Maine. He did win the Hobie Baker Award as the NCAA top player. As a freshman, no less. That does not happen. As a freshman, he won it. And he was regarded a top prospect heading into the draft. He went on to be a point-per-game player with 989 points in 989 games. He won back-to-back Lady Bing trophies and a gold medal in 2002. Now, I do think this is a great pickup for Hartford as they have a franchise player to market and build around. With that being said, though, I don't know if said excitement ends up helping Hartford in the end as they begin their downward spiral financially. But I think if, in a couple of years, Hartford Leonard moves to Carolina, this could be a good thing for the NHL because now the Hurricanes would have a superstar that they could market to a brand new fan base. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the interesting thing about this is there's no saving the Hartford Whalers. I think the biggest thing that happened in the 90s was the professionalization of the NHL meant that small cities couldn't afford an NHL team anymore. So I don't think there's any saving Hartford. And as much as we'd like to see Quebec City saved, like the Nordiques saved, it's not happening. Quebec City's too small. Like, if you have a team full of guys who are now making, uh, like, from half a million to 10 million, you need a lot of asses and seats. That is true, but the problem with Hartford is that I, I think Quebec would have had an easier time financially. I think Hartford probably had a much different difficult time because they're in probably one of the worst markets right there. And no, nothing against Hartford. Not because it's Hartford. It's because look at the teams around them. Exactly. You had the Bruins, you had the Rangers, the Islanders, the Penguins, the Flyers, the Devils. You had six franchises around you that have higher prestige, they're bigger markets, and as a result, they have championships. Well, and the other thing is it's just nothing's far in New England. So you could you can drive a few hours to get to Boston. It's three hours to the Canadian border. Like, you can drive. So Hartford doesn't have a chance. And I think an AHL team works in, like, Hartford, Providence, Rochester, those sorts of places. Mm-hmm. So nothing was saving Hartford. Yeah, because you can carve out your own niche in those markets with AHL franchises. 
Exactly, and like having a twenty dollars ticket price helps a lot. Yeah. And you can afford that with AHL contracts. Absolutely does. With the fifth selection, the Tampa Bay Lightning selects Rob Niedemeyer. Now, of course, Rob Niedemeyer is the younger brother of Scott Niedemeyer, NHL defenseman and Hall of Famer. Rob Niedemeyer did have a really solid junior career with the Minnesota Tigers, recording 205 points in 194 games. He did put up solid bottom six numbers in the NHL with a career-high 61 in the 95-96 season for the Florida Panthers. And much like the man who went second overall, he also won a Stanley Cup with the Anaheim Ducks in 2007. Is this just the Anaheim Ducks draft? Yeah, pretty much. The thing about well, this is that this is a decent... Round is the New Jersey Devils draft. Because the second, the second round has Leggenbrunner and Pandolfo going pretty early. Yeah, that is true. Actually, this is a decent enough pickup for Tampa Bay as they are a newer team and... Niedemeyer could serve as a solid player for them. However, I think early on he would be more of a top six guy, but then will be relegated to the bottom six once Vincent LeCavalier and Brad Richards and Martin St. Louis come into the fold. But early mm-hmm. on, this is a decent enough pickup for Tampa Bay. Yeah, and I don't think it actually makes that much of... If they're happy with Chris Gratton over Paul Correa, I don't think they sniff at Rob Niedermeyer at number five. True. But like, it's, but like we were talking about with the third Florida pick, right? Fickle anyway, so it's they needed time to build. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If it gives, uh, if picking Rob Nieder gives them a solid player that you know they know they're not going to have to build around him. They know he's not a franchise player, but if they get a guy who can help out in the short term, then this is a solid enough pickup for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Yep. With a sixth pick, the Dallas Stars select Victor Kozlov. The thing about Victor Kozlov is that he was not a real standout in his native Russia, with his best season being 25 points in 42 games for Dynamo Moscow. He did put up solid numbers in the NHL, recording multiple 50-point seasons, with his best season being the 99-2000 season with Florida, recording 70 points. Much like Rob Niedemeyer, this is a decent enough pickup for Dallas, but I don't see him being a top guy given the talent up front Dallas would land in the next couple of years, like like a Brett Hall and some of the, and Joe Newendike and some of the players that they would end up acquiring. But he could have served as a solid bottom six guy on those championship teams in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Well, what's kind of funny with Victor Kozlov is I'm surprised that he would go over Jason Arnett. Because Jay, like Jason Arnett plays in Canada, the scouts are more familiar with that. And Jason Arnett was actually fairly impressive in junior. So I'm a little surprised that in reality, he got passed over. I guess it's his first bad, not very good year of junior, 24 points in 57 games. Mm-hmm. That kind of did him in a bit. Yeah, it absolutely does. With the seven pick, the San Jose Sharks select Jason Arnott. Now, Jason Arnott did play two seasons with the Oshawa Generals, recording 51 goals, 47 assists for 98 points in his final season. He found instant success in the NHL, recording 68 points in 78 games, which would see him being the runner-up for Rookie of the Year in 1994 behind Martin Broder. He did put up really solid numbers throughout his career and would score the cup-winning goal in 2004 
Martin Bruder's team, the New Jersey Devils. I actually really like this pickup for San Jose because this gives the Sharks some real firepower up front in their top six, given that they had picked up Ray Whitney and Owen Nolan would come in a few years later and Jeff Friesen would come into the fold. And I feel that when the Sharks went on that magical playoff run in 1994, he could have played a big part in that, given that they did have that 3-2 series lead over Toronto in the second round. Well, I think what's really funny here is uh, you could almost call it the draft lottery fixing San Jose's mistake. Yeah, because in 1991 they took Pat Falloon, who was the consolation prize to Eric Lindros, but at the time, I mean, the Sharks really couldn't have known that Pat Falloon would have not panned out as well as they'd hoped. Mm-hmm. Well, even, I mean, taking Victor Kozlov over Jason Ant- Jason Arnett in, the re- in real life. Mm-hmm. Jason Arnett was just a far more effective player in general. But there was, And you probably could have seen that coming even at the time. That's true. But, however, the Sharks must have thought that they had saw something more in Victor Kozlov than they did in Jason Arnott. Now, of course, the power of hindsight would dictate that's not the case, as Jason Arnott would be a very, very good player in the NHL. But I think you could even argue with, given the information at the time, because even you said it, Victor Kozlov wasn't that impressive in his native Russia, while Jason Arnott rapidly improved in the OHL. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think attentive scouting could have picked it up at that, even in ninety, even in nineteen ninety three. For sure, man. With the eighth selection, the New York Rangers select Nicholas Sudstrom. Now Sudstrom was known mostly for his defensive play and not his goal scoring. He did put up okay numbers in the NHL with a career high fifty two in the ninety six ninety seven season while playing alongside Wayne Gretzky. You know, I really don't have any thoughts here. Uh, he was a bottom six guy, did his job. I think if the Rangers had a do-over, they probably would have drafted, say, somebody else, or they would have traded down. Yeah, and it's interesting because after Sundstrom, the pickings get... Like, Sundstrom is kind of the end of the high level, the high watermark for this draft. Mm-hmm. Because anything else is diamonds in the rough. Yeah, pretty much, man. So, like, yeah, I think the Rangers, if they did it over, they might trade it. But if Nicholas Sundstrom played the defensive hockey they needed him to, more of the power to him. Absolutely. With the ninth pick, the Florida Panthers select Todd Harvey. Now, Todd Harvey was known as a goal scorer in the OHL. However, he was more of an agitator and a checking line player in the NHL. He was often injury prone due to his intense play and small stature. My thoughts on the matter is that I think Florida probably drafted him thinking that they would have their own version of Theo Fleury, a smaller guy who was an agitator, but a serious offensive threat. Because if you were to look at his numbers in junior, he put up really good numbers. He put up a lot of penalty minutes too, but you looked at him like, wow, you know, like, you know, yes, he's a smaller guy, but you look at, see, Theo Fleury, who's 5'6", 160 pounds, did well in the NHL. Todd Harvey could be the next guy. You know what? I'm going to go as far as say, I would even think if Todd Harvey had stayed healthy, he could have been a very popular player with the Panthers as an agitator. But I think overall he would have disappointed many with his lack of offensive talent in the NHL. Yeah, and you have to wonder, like, it's interesting that his uh, the offensive talent just didn't translate. 
like offensive talent not translating is something most people associate more with the Q than the OHL. Mm-hmm. But and it's not like Dallas was missing talents at that point, as you mentioned, because they had like Mike Madonna and those guys coming in. So it's kind of surprising that. And then he played with Gretzky while he was there. So it's like it's kind of surprising that the offense just never happened. Yep, and we also can't forget that Todd Harvey played on the 06 Oilers team too as a as a depth piece. Mm-hmm. And he played 10 playoff games with them. Absolutely. Speaking of the Edmonton Oilers, with the 10th selection, the Edmonton Oilers select Jocelyn Tebow. Now, the funny thing in hindsight is that Jocelyn Tebow didn't exactly put up mind-blowing numbers in junior. However, in his final season, he did win 34 games. The thing with Jocelyn Tebow is that he kind of was just thrown in the fire early with the Quebec Nordiques with the departure of Ron Hextall. And I think a lot of people remember Jocelyn Tebow for a few things. They will always remember him because he was plagued by being a starter on really bad teams, most notably the early 2000s Blackhawks teams. And he will always be linked with Patrick Wye in the trade that sent him to the Canadiens in 1995. Yeah, and it's... A rough go for a guy who was, honestly, pretty solid. We're talking about a guy who's met pretty serviceable save percentages. Like, he's getting .91 in the 90s, which is pretty good, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And also factoring on the fact he didn't play on very talented teams. Like, he played on the post-Patrick Waugh Montreal Canadiens, and he also played on the early 2000s Blackhawk teams, like I was talking about. But he also played on the early Sidney Crosby Penguin teams too, which I do and not think helped at all at all. No, those weren't very good teams either. No. And he rounded out with the post-Briere Buffalo Sabres. Mm-hmm. No, I do which think is- that this, he could have actually filled a huge hole in goal with the Oilers, given that by 1993, Bill Ranford was running out of steam with the Oilers, and I do see the fact I do see Jocelyn Tebow being more of a backup in Edmonton for the first couple of years to get him to, to help develop him and get him ready to take over the reins in Edmonton when the time has come. And I feel in doing that, because they now they have Tebow and goal, the Oilers would now don't have to go out and try and get a goalie, which means Curtis Joseph never becomes an Edmonton Oiler. Yeah, and honestly, they might be better for it. Well, and I think the thing is that Jocelyn Tebow, I do think he could have been a very good goalie if he played on better teams. But I think in the short term, Curtis Joseph was an outstanding goalie for the Edmonton Oilers. It's just a shame that his tenure ended after 1998. Yeah, although it's interesting because like, as far as save percentages go, around the same time, Jocelyn Tebow and Curtis Joseph have very similar save percentages. It's just Tebow was on crappier teams, so a point nine, a point nine oh eight, a point nine oh five doesn't get you as far. No, like he was a point nine one three and a point nine and a point nine one with those god awful post Wob Canadians. Like he was doing some good work. Mm-hmm. And Jocelyn Tebow and I. When looking back, I think a lot of people don't realize that I always feel he was more of a stopgap than anything with Montreal and Chicago, given that he was the guy in between the eras of Patrick Waugh and Jose Theodore in Montreal. And when he went to Chicago, he was in between 
Ed Belfour and kind of not the same point that jo- um, Nikolai Hobby Bulin. Yeah, it's about when the Bulin wall showed up. But it's, yeah, for Theobald, I think he had, Jocelyn Theobald had a, he, he actually had a pretty respectable career considering the god-awful teams he was playing for. Absolutely. Like, you feel bad for the guy. You do. And it's funny, like, in 2019, we can look back at these draft picks and say, like you're saying, Ottawa wouldn't have taken Chris Gratton. Dallas probably would have taken Jason Arnott. This, that, and the next thing. But in 1993, said teams probably didn't think the same way. But, you know, that's why that we are here to look at redraft. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, and I think once you get past the second round, it's lottery tickets, right? Pretty much, because you know, you look at the later rounds of of these drafts. That's when you find the real gems. Like, especially you look at say Ray Whitney was taken in the second round. Jamie Langenbrunner was taken in those later rounds. Obviously, Daniel Alfredson was taken. That um, Sammy Sallow was. Pavel Dimitra was like. Jamal Myers, like, there's a lot of guys who played a lot of HL hockey late into this draft, like Miroslav Satan, Scott Walker. There's a lot of guys who played almost a thousand games out of this draft, and it's frankly impressive. Darcy Fucker. It's true. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up this week's episode of Redraft. Now, overall, thoughts on the segment? Do you, hope, do you wish they would come back? Do you think it should become a... Pr- not a permanent sta- uh, stable, but we do have a couple of other drafts we could probably do. Yeah, I think it would be a fun one to redo. Uh, I wouldn't. Mo- I think uh, maybe being a bit, r- a bit less rigid and look at, given the information at the time, would a team make a different choice? And I think that's the. I think that's part of the fun because you're looking at each teams, and they obviously have different objectives, like Tampa passing on Paul Korea. Yeah, Tampa passing on Paul Correa. You could also look at teams passing on Jason Arnott, or even like Todd Bertuzzi falling all the way to the end of the round, to the end of the first round. That is true. Despite man. having very good OHL numbers. Well, I guess they weren't great by '93. I take that one back. Yeah. So Tim, I don't have any more things to talk about here for today's episode. If you want to just head on to the close. Yeah, let's wrap her up. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I loved recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Third Line Plug Sensecast. And because our bot Dave made the mention, we are on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-Y-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to suggest a year that we should look at for our segment redraft, shoot us an email, thirdlaneplugsensecast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo!
so long, my time here is up. They're going home!